Welcome to Disruptive CEO Nation, where your host, Alison K. Summers, is searching the globe to introduce you to cutting-edge thinkers and entrepreneurs whose stories will inspire you to innovate your own business life. Having worked with and coached CEOs and senior leaders from over 90 countries, Alison is taking her own experiences to help today's CEOs and professionals meet the ever-changing demands of the future of work. Now, here's your host, Alison K. Summers. Thank you for choosing to spend time with us. This is Disruptive CEO Nation. And today we are talking about things that business owners, business builders, entrepreneurs need to think about today in terms of thinking about their future. So, well, like books like The Lean Startup are an essential read for company founders and for business builders. There's another book and another person that you need to know who can help guide what you're doing in your business today. And he is the author of Dance in the End Zone and also the creator of numerous content pieces, wonderful wisdom, consultant to so many businesses. And so it is just my absolute joy to invite Patrick to speak with you today. So Patrick, give everybody your introduction so they know the wonderful things you deliver to the world. Thanks, Allison. Yes. My name is Patrick Ungeschick, and I'm currently the CEO of a couple companies, but the company that helps business founders and owners successfully exit is called Navix, as in navigating towards your exit, Navix Consultants. And it's really my pleasure to speak with you today. Well, thank you. Now, you, I know, like you said, you've got plenty of experience of the pain points and the joy of being a C CEO. Yes. Uh, can you just give us a little backstory? We like to know who, a little bit more about who our guests are, including maybe if you had any ugly points in your past business building. We, well, we only have like 20 minutes, so I'm gonna, <laughs> I, I can skim over the ugly points. But So I started out, um, I was a poli-sci undergrad, which means I knew nothing about finance or entrepreneurialism, uh, but I lucked out and I, my first stage of my career as I did, um, got to mentor under a wonderful gentleman and got to do mid-market investment banking in New York City. And what I saw, Allison, was with few exceptions, and these, these were uh, companies still about the same size we focus on today, a few million in revenue, up to a few hundred million in revenue. And with few exceptions, Allison, these were great companies that were founded and led by very successful people, bright, caring, self-sacrificing people who had built these wonderful companies. And with few exceptions, they would get to what I still call the one yard line and they would struggle. They would struggle with achieving a successful and happy exit. They would struggle with the financial win. They would struggle with figuring out how to treat their people in a dignified way. They would struggle with how do they make sure that the customers continue to get the quality of service or products that they had been providing, at least they, from the standards that they had held to. And it just made this huge impact on me and my life to see why did so many successful companies have such difficulty exiting successfully. So from there is where we eventually built a, a set of solutions in order to help business owners achieve exit success. You know, Patrick, I find, because I have the, the pleasure right now of speaking to a lot of, of CEOs, and again, at all different stages, and I think what's so interesting is they come on the program, and, and really, this is a platform for us to discuss what's going well with what they're doing. You know, what is the great right. products that they're putting in the world, um, you know, some of their lessons learned, but what I find, Patrick, is before the mic is on and when the mic is off, I get a very different... CEO story. And I think that, 
you know, a lot of what you do is related to that different CEO story, you know, not the PR, not the, right. the, the public speech. That's right. One, one reason I have such, I hold entrepreneurs and founders in such high regard and, and I eventually decided I wanted to be one too, is because, you know, very few of us are saints and I know I'm certainly not, but founders and business owners and leaders, they tend to be such amazing people. They make these incredible sacrifices, you know, often working for extended periods of time, sometimes years without taking a paycheck or at least a, a decent sized paycheck. Uh, making the tough decisions when no one else is in the room. Their employees are not in the room. The customers are not in the room. Mm -hmm. And they typically have these unheralded moments uh, that they rarely get credit for. They can't walk around talking about it. Um, and uh, if they don't make those courageous calls over the course of their career, the company is not going to become what it has the potential to be and, and maybe doesn't even survive. Um, and so I've always had uh, held founders and business owners in such high regard because of that. But I, I think you're right. When the mic is not on, when the camera is turned away, you know, they really are. It's, it's a, it's, you get, you get the reality of them. Mm -hmm. And you, and I think a lot of the, um, the pain that we tend to talk about when the mic is off is, is people and, right. and people management. And I was really surprised. I was interviewing somebody the other day and we were talking about, particularly entrepreneurs and the pressure they're under, um, especially if they start taking investor money um, to do what's right or to turn that, that profit. Um, but let's, let's take a step back and, and talk about if, if you were to come in and meet with me and take a look at my business that I'm building, what are some key areas that you would focus on first or want to have a conversation with me about? Sure. Some key areas would be sustainability, scalability, especially without you. Uh, a lot of incredibly successful businesses, high growth, high profits, great stories. When you take away one or two key ingredients, the company is on, doesn't have the horsepower to scale, maybe even survive. And often that starts with the business owner or owners himself or herself. You know, can that company not just survive without you, but can that company thrive without you? A lot of, a lot of, as I said, very successful companies, you take away the owner or owners and you don't have anything that is going to do well going forward. That's not, you know, that's not sustainable. That's not going to lead to a happy exit. That's going to lead to danger along the way. Um, so it starts with the quality of the leadership aside from the owner or owners uh, then you have to look at the rest of the operations all through that lens and filter of what's sustainable and what's scalable. You know, Patrick, I'm, I'm going to throw you a little bit of a wild card. I have a 16-year-old son who loves to watch the YouTube videos about the people that go and look at all the abandoned buildings, right? Okay. And there was this story that I was just caught out of the corner of my eye of this huge, fabulous, like, hotel resort property in Florida that this gentleman had just poured his life into. And then it, it just crumbled because it couldn't, it couldn't sustain. Right. And so as I'm listening to you talk, I'm envisioning, um, you know, this sad piece, like any entrepreneur and business builder, you know, they're not doing what they're doing to not have it have longevity and, and live on. That's right. And so, um, so give us some more advice, some more wisdom then that we should be thinking about. So you've got to look at the strength of the leadership team with that eye towards sustainability, scalability. Can they drive the growth, especially without the business owner or leader being in the room? 
you have to look at um, the operations. It, you know, if the company is a five or $10 million company now, does it have the opportunity and the resources to become a 20 or 25 or $50 million company down the road? If it doesn't, why not? What's holding it back? What's the organization missing? And what are we doing about addressing that? Um, another key area that often trips up a lot of small to mid-sized privately held com uh, companies is their customer concentration. A lot of great businesses are founded off one or two customers, one or two clients. That's how you got launched. Uh, but that can't, you know, again, it goes back to sustainability. That can't, that story can't exist for the long term. Eventually, an organization needs a healthy, diversified customer base. Uh, because otherwise you get to the one yard line and if you have one customer that represents 20, 30, 40, 50% or more of the company's revenues or profits, it's going to be very difficult to build a, an exitable business. Buyers are going to be leery of that scenario. And if there's a change in faces around the table because the existing owners exit, whatever their methodology is, sell, give it to the kids, whatever the story might be. Nothing causes a customer to more immediately reevaluate its options than when the faces around the table change. So you got to look at that customer base and hopefully build something that's diversified. Yeah, I, I learned that early in my career. I worked for a company. I was based in um, outside of Detroit, and the company I worked for was all automotive based. And you know that's a risky proposition, and and right. we worked really hard to to try to attract new business and, and diversify. Do you feel, Patrick, that um, because there's so much conversation about, you know, you know, niche companies, you know, highly laser focused, who's your avatar, you know, so there's got to be at some point, though, where, where, like you said, in growth, that extreme niche might not, not help you move forward. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's great to have a niche and be dominant. And, and that niche supports, hopefully, high margins. But if that niche has limited ability to break out and become something bigger, then what's the next potential owner of this company or next set of leaders of this company? Where are they going to take it? If there's a, if there's a hard ceiling ab above us and we can't break through, that's not going to lead to that out set of outcomes that most business founders and owners want when they eventually contemplate their own exit. Years ago, we worked for a company that did uh, low-level security for uh, uh, federal office parking garages. They were dominant. They had 70% market share. They had 20%, 30% pre-tax profits. I mean, a great story. And uh, there was about a $20, $30 million business in a $50 million market. And they were excited about the potential to sell, given how strong the company's financial performance was. It took three years to find a buyer because every potential buyer would come along and go, great, you've got 30 million of the $50 million that's even out there. I don't, you know, I need more opportunity than just picking up another 20 million. We need to, and eventually they had to change the business model in order to position it to be able to expand elsewhere. Otherwise it's capped. Yeah, and I don't think when people say, okay, I'm, I'm ready to sell my business, that they're also prepared to wait three years to do it. Most are not. No, <laughs> not at all. So let's talk, let's go there from an angle of somebody that would be looking on the outside in um, and wanting to sell my business. Like I said, most entrepreneurs and business builders focus so much on that front end pitch and on what you need to do to um, get ready. But, but what do I need? What are those outside people looking at when they look at my company? 
Yes, they're looking at a couple key issues. We've talked about one. I haven't used a phrase yet so far. They're looking at the language we use, the term we use is transferable value, capital T, capital V. They're looking at, okay, great. You've got this company that you've built and you've founded and you lead and it's working well for you. But if I take you out of the picture because you want to exit, you want to retire, mm -hmm. you want to sell, whatever the story is, then how much of that value transfers to me or to us? And if the company can't function without you, or if there's, a if there's customer concentration, or if there's limitations on how and where this company can go and grow, that limits its transferable value. So that's one key consideration. Another key consideration is governance, which I know, Allison, we talked about briefly before mm -hmm. we started. Um, most uh, privately held companies have more than one owner. About 70% of companies have multiple owners. And there better be good governance in place to determine how, if you've got multiple owners, make sure they, if we're going to sell, do they all want to sell? Do they all want to get the same valuation? Because if there's dissension at the owner level, if there's partners, that's not going to set up. Typically, that's going to be a big threat towards exiting successfully. And then the last piece very quickly would be make sure the financial house is in order. Uh, many privately held companies, profitable, well-run companies, are not prepared to put their financial reports and records in front of an outside buyer. They're not prepared for that level of scrutiny. They're not prepared for that level of accuracy that's needed. Either their accounting methods are not right or they're just their financial records are not as buttoned up as they need to be. And that can be a bit of a rude shock as well. Because if you're a privately held company and you've been running for 20 years and an outsider has never looked at your books for 20 years, when you go through that process for the first time, it can be a bit of a jolt. No, Patrick, I, I, um, I absolutely agree. I've had the the pleasure. I transferred from the business world to being a executive director for international organizations. So dealing with uh, anywhere from 60 to 95 countries and memberships, so currencies from around the world. But I think one of the things I've learned in the nonprofit space that I'm now transferring back to the business space is you can't run a nonprofit without assuming everything has to be clear and transparent because everything is audited, everything is public record. Right. And, you know, ev every piece of it is built for the public. Right. And I can see what you're saying that most private business owners, you know, they, they do what they need to do to have their books right. And their books are right, but that doesn't mean they're ready. It's like, you know, am I ready to open the, I, I can invite people to my living room, but am I ready to open my closets? Exactly. And show them what's inside. Exactly. Yeah, and the and the private held company is 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 run the way that its owner, its founder, its owners want it to be run, and that's great. I mean, that's the that's one of the blessings of founding and leading your own company is you get to build what you want it to be. Uh, but that's usually very different than what a buyer is looking at, especially if your buyer is potentially a publicly traded company or owned by a publicly traded company. I mean, they've got those standards that they're going to come and apply. And you say, well, I'm a privately held business. I've, I've never, why, why would I have spent money on an audit all these years? And I get it, but an outside buyer is going to need that in many situations because either they're publicly traded or because they have investors behind them. Um, and if you're not prepared to go through that, and you know, again, the audit alone is going to look back three years typically. If you're not prepared to go through that, it can be jarring and it, it can derail even even a well-run, profitable company can derail them from exiting anytime soon. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate those those thoughts. Um, can you give us any good stories of any companies that you've that you've helped along the way? Um, uh, yeah, I mean, 
I, I've worked with about 300 companies in my career, lots of good stories. Um, I'll, I'll tell you a story of a client we're working with right now. It's a, it's a very successful company in space. It's one of the larger employers in its state. And it just happens to have three owners, a third, a third, a third, um, two men and one, one woman. They're not related to one another. But what's fascinating is we talk with business leaders typically about the big three outcomes that most business leaders want. It's reaching some type of financial win, whatever that personal number is. That's one. The second is it's making sure that we exit on our own terms. I want to exit when I want to exit. I want to transition how I want to transition. So the number one is reaching my financial win. The second is exiting on my own terms. And the third set of outcomes that most business leaders seem to share in is I'm going to call quickly legacy. And I, I want to make sure people are treated in a way that I think is fair and respectful. I want to make sure the customer's needs are met. So anyway, we've got a client we're working with right now, again, very successful company and um, about a hundred year old business, three leaders. And one of them is really um, has a high degree of anxiety around will the financial numbers work? Will the sale price be sufficient? The second one is, is very anxious about being able to continue working in the company after a sale uh, because she doesn't have kids or any uh, family to speak of. So her identity is tied up in her role inside the company. And the third of the three is really um, anxious about how are the people going to be treated because there's, there's you know, five, 600 employees at this company and it's a very high profile 100-year-old business. So it's fascinating to watch this current client going through right now moving towards an exit, planning on selling the business when the right buyer comes along, three different buyers. And they're like, each of them is like an avatar for these three themes that you tend to see resonating. You tend mm -hmm. to see them resonating within each individual. In this case, each one of them is an advocate for this outcome. And they're already beginning to feel a lot of tension internally. And they're already beginning to feel some tension amongst the three of them. Uh, because they're um, they're all going into this process with three very different sets of priorities. Ah, and you get to uh, calm and manage all of them. Yes, yes. A little bit of psychotherapy comes with the process. That's right. <laughs> is it a, I, and I know everything is so situational, but is it a good thing or a bad thing if a founder who's, who's grown their company um, and wants to sell it, if they stick around for a while, do they tend to stick around in the transition process um, for a while? What do you see most of the deals um, being written as? Um, that's, that's back to exiting on my own terms, right? I love the organization. I want to play some ongoing role, typically very limited, a role of my choosing. Um, so in our experience, Allison, it tends to be 50-50. About 50% don't want to stick around, want to make as quick exit as, as quickly as possible. And the other 50% do want to stick around in some sort of limited capacity. Um, whether which side of the debate or the outcome you're on, in our experience, neither one tends to work out pretty well. Those that want to make a quick transition uh, uh, chafe if the, if the scenario is such that they are expected to stick around for a year or two. That can be really tough. It's really hard to wake up every day in the morning not being free to do the things that you want to do that mm -hmm. day. And the 50% who want to stick around and are given that opportunity, um, change happens so quickly after a company, after there's an exit, especially if there's new owners, if there's a new buyer. And the company that they, especially if they're the founder, the company that they built and created, it's no longer there. It's not my company anymore. Um, and if you are sticking around, that can be, that can be pretty disorienting. I'll tell you very quickly, we, um, another story. We had a client that wanted to stick around, um, uh, was a very hands-on, very successful CEO, 
um, sold, became executive vice chair, you know, one, uh, one of those kind of titles, not involved in the day-to-day. This company is one of their most important annual traditions was this big um, uh, turkey roast. They had brought in these industrial smokers. They would make 500, 700 turkeys on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. So every employee could take home a turkey. Um, and it was this founder's tradition. He had created it. It was, it was his favorite day of the year. The first time this Wednesday is happening after he has sold and he is no longer the CEO, is now just the executive vice chair, whatever his title is. He's walking out to the parking lot. They did all this smoking of turkeys outside. And one of the employees saw him and held open the door and said, guests first. And it hit him like, you know, a, a, a brick because his, one of these employees no longer viewed him as being part of the team. He was a guest. At oh. this and that was emotionally very, very, uh, you know, a, a really significant moment. He realized the company that he had founded and built, it, it wasn't his anymore. And he, maybe he didn't belong sticking around anymore. Yeah. Touching story. Very yeah. touching story. So Patrick, we said at the beginning that you're a really dynamic guy. You, you speak in a lot of places. You, you create a lot of content. Um, so, and you talk about exiting on your own terms. So in your own terms, if we caught up with you again in a couple of years, um, what would you be focusing on? What, what, what do you, what's life going to look like for you? Oh, great question. Um, well, I've, I've written a couple books and I, I have a third in me, a better of a third in me and a fourth. Um, you're right. I do, I do a lot of speaking. Um, and I want to continue, uh, I, I, just like any other entrepreneur, my responsibility is to build a company that can thrive without me. So that's my current focus right now. And we're making good progress five years from now where I, where I should be. If we check back in, Allison is that company should be saying, Patrick, we love you, but we don't need you. That would be a good thing to hear. And I should be prepared to hear that. You're going to uh, hold the door and say, guess first. That's right. Guess first. <laughs> And hopefully I'll have, I'll have one or two more books on the shelf and be continuing to do the speaking. Okay, so how can people reach out to you if they want to tap into the knowledge that you have? Thanks, Allison. So our, our company name is Navix Consultants, and that's our website address as well, N-A-V-I-X, and then consultants with an S on the end, navixconsultants.com. And you, what we do is very much educate business founders and owners on all of these issues. So yeah, my books are out there, but on our website, there's 200 articles, webinars, eBooks, white papers, clearly on many different topics, many of which we've touched upon here today, all of which are free for business owners to be able to download and help prepare them, whether they ever work with us or anybody like us, but just help prepare them for the journey that they're on. Uh, because most business owners are only going to exit once. They only have one shot at success, and it's pretty critically important that they get it right. Yeah. And Patrick, I would say for anybody that has taken the time to listen to this episode, if Patrick has said something that resonates with you, or you know a company founder that needs to hear this message, um, please refer them uh, to Patrick and Navex. And also, as you're building your business year and your, your calendar, and again, when you're in that fast lane building your company, we know that your time is precious, but it really is worth in those early years and early stages, carving out a day a quarter, carving out at least a day a year to have a consultant speak with you about is your infrastructure set up for that sale? Because you don't want to be 10 years into your business 
right, Patrick? And then right. have to go back and do all the heavy lifting and be that company that takes three years to sell. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I think that's just such great wisdom. So thank you for being a guest today. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode of Disruptive CEO Nation. Until we speak again, keep your eye on the future. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>